Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. Continuing with the month's theme of It Came From Shudder, in which a guest picks a movie from Shudder's extensive back catalog that is lesser known or perhaps doesn't quite get the love it deserves. And on the docket this week is Mickey Keating's 2021 Lovecraftian horror film Off Season, which follows Mary who receives a mysterious letter that claims her mother's grave has been defaced, and she must travel to the remote island town where she was buried. But upon her arrival, the island closes for the season, trapping Mary and her boyfriend with the, uh, eccentric locals. And joining me to chat seaside weirdos and Lovecraftian dread is returning friend of the show, Michael Pemintel. Michael is an essayist and pop culture critic who has written for Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting, Electronic Gaming Monthly, The Funimation Blog, and more. He's currently a staff writer over at The Pit, a heavy metal news website. So without further ado, Michael, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me back, Jay. I'm super excited. Um, when I heard about this feature that you do about underrated gems or gems on Shutter, I absolutely wanted to talk about this movie with someone. It's funny enough been on my watch list for a while. I know it came out in 2021, um, but I just got to see it recently and it blew me away, dude. So I'm super jazzed to talk about it. Yeah, I was really excited to do this theme that was a little outside of the norm or subgenre or genre norms that I typically do because, you know, it gives listeners and guests and people like the chance to chat about a movie that they haven't had a chance to, or even, you know, giving me an excuse to dive into something that, you know, as I said in the intro, like Shudder has such an extensive back catalog now, um, you know, while it's not quite the size of a Netflix or Prime yet, it's quickly ob obtaining that size catalog uh, so that lots of films, you know, slip through the cracks, if you will. And, you know, Off Season is a great example of a movie that I had seen the press surrounding it. I'd seen, you know, when it was released, but I'd never gotten a chance to watch it. So this is a perfect opportunity to uh, kind of dive into a movie that I haven't seen a lot of chatter about mm. outside of its release. So I'm happy that uh, I have the chance to kind of dive into it with you. Absolutely. And like also to Shutter's credit, like, you know, the, this is an uh, original of theirs, too. So, again, like you said, while they may not have that quote unquote huge backlog, they're they're developing a log and they also do a great job of originals. So shout out to those guys. They should sponsor you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to start, man. Yeah. So for you with offseason, what is an element of the film that maybe you weren't expecting or it caught you off guard, but at the end of the day, it ended up, you know, resonating with you and it serves as uh, an element of the film that you really enjoyed. That would have to be, um, and I kind of hesitate to say caught me off guard. I think what kind of caught me off guard is how much the movie leans into this and does a pretty good job of it. Um, but how much it leaves you in the dark about things. And um, I mean, it's, it's brilliant in, and again, I know you already tell your, your viewers, you know, spoilers, but like as a Lovecraftian story, it's so exceptional at leaving you in the dark. And I wanted to, I want to specifically, I guess, speak to the first scene of this movie, which um, for those who obviously haven't seen it, you're not given any context. Um, you know, as little as what Jay said about the premise, but coming into this movie, if you know nothing, you're just given 
this very close shot of a woman just talking and in how she's talking and what she's saying, you can piece together. It's a very sad monologue. It's a very heartbreaking monologue about outrunning your ghosts and not being trapped by things. And as she's talking, I mean, you might have this like small hum playing underneath her. There's the sound of like waves in the background. Um, and I just loved coming right into this. Off Season is not a movie that necessarily has too many jump scares. It has them. Um, but it does, and I hate to say this in such a derivative way, but it does my favorite thing that I, one of my favorite things I love about horror movies, and that's effective uses of dread and pacing. Um, some of the best jump scares are just having a still scene in this movie and maybe a sound comes up. And that's something that the intro does really well. It has this horror, in my opinion, horribly upsetting scream, um, which you're getting right after this super heartbreaking monologue from this person who's just talking about how they've really done their best. Um, you might try to piece in your mind that this is someone who's struggling with maybe some kind of mental illness, maybe something with depression, but you really don't know. The film hasn't been forward yet about what it is. Um, and even when it is forward, which we'll get into, it leaves you so much in the dark, and I love that minimalism. It does an amazing job of making you feel uncomfortable because you don't have a full context of what's happening. Yeah, and I think that, to your point, that's the best way that you can open a Lovecraftian film, right? That element of being in the dark, of not having all the pieces, and just seeing the byproduct of the after effects of what is going on behind the curtain. And for me, that's the element of Lovecraftian films that I love the most, right? The idea that you're not in on maybe the master plan or the uh, the entity's inevitable joke on uh, the protagonist, if you will. And, you know, the way that the movie opens with that performance from uh, Mel uh, Walters, who we learn plays the protagonist's mother. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, you know, the scream that she gives, it's not as if it's like a traditional, like, oh, somebody saw a monster in a movie type of a scream, right? It's a lot more kind of just almost... It, like the byproduct of somebody recalling a really awful memory kind of um, in a way that is not just based off of just like, oh, this is a reaction to something that just happened. It's more, it's just more dread inducing, I find, or it's something that, you know, somebody would type of scream somebody would give and then before they become like catatonic or something, uh, which makes it that much more upsetting. That's a super great point. If I can be obnoxious for a hot second because of what you just said. <laughs> Never. So I recommended this movie to you for the sake of this episode, and we have not talked about it. We haven't talked. This is our first time talking about it. And so, like, coming into this, someone could be like, oh, maybe they're both projecting. But I think it's really interesting that two different people can have that read on the emotion of that scene. And I think that's a huge credit to her acting and the direction of this movie about the kinds of emotions it brings in, especially how fucking heartbreaking of a movie it is and how dreadful of a movie it is. So I think that to the, to the credit of the acting and directing, I'm glad that we both had that without knowing we were each going to say that. Absolutely. And I really think that that is the best way that you can introduce the tone of a Lovecraftian film. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert on the subgenre, but I have always appreciated film and, you know, literature or video games, even that, attempt to tackle, you know, Lovecraftian themes and topics and storylines, I'm always in favor of, like you said at the very beginning of the episode, it's less about showing and it's more about, you know, 
capturing people and how people are reacting to something and not having the full picture. Mm. And yet it's still uncomfortable or it still is kind of just like nagging at you of like something is wrong, but nothing has happened yet that you can just overtly be like, well, screw this. I'm just going to run away from whatever's going on. Um, Because if you come on too strong, of course, and I guess it's true of any horror movie, really, when you come on too strong, you almost kind of feel like, well, okay, I've seen what this has to offer. What more can we really do? And with a film like this to really capture just the dread of someone at a, like uh, maybe the end of their life or a period of their life where they're coming to grips with something, whether it's, you know, they're dealing with an illness or a relationship that's falling apart, or, you know, inevitably there's going to be an entity that has them in their grasps. Uh, it's the type of thing that I would much rather see the emotional toll of what has happened to someone rather than, you know, immediately going to tentacle monsters or something like that, which, you know, not to say I'm not a fan of those moments, but leading with that would almost do the film itself a disservice, I think. Absolutely. And it's it's funny to your point about seeing more of the psychological, so to speak, as, a, as more so to the um, monster in front of you. This movie does... I, I do go back and forth about like, does this movie maybe tell a little too much? To which I don't think it does. Um, I think I just love how little it says. And it's like, oh, maybe it'd be cool if you said less. Yeah, I well, I would agree that, you know, I think, and we'll get to like the second half of the movie in a little bit, but I think that it definitely explains a little too much just as it's getting to the conclusion. It's almost as if like, oh, well, we don't want people to leave this not having answers. I think what I appreciate, though, is how long into the film it waits before it does that, right? I don't think that it's necessarily... I I just appreciate the fact that they don't explain everything throughout the film. But then once you get to almost like the finish line, it's like, we got to explain this. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, angry people in the comments that are like, this doesn't make any sense or whatever. But, you know, I think that it is a smart deployment, at least, of the plot, um, even if, you know, it ends up being a little too much at points. I I do think how... um... That initial, um, I'm going to forget the ex-husband's name, but the initial conversation between Mary and her ex-husband, um, where I would say that's the, for lack of a better term, the, the first exposition dump. I love, again, how much the movie keeps you in the dark to like, we as the viewer know something is clearly up. And our protagonist isn't some dumb, clueless, like stereotypical um horror movie protagonist who is yeah. like oh i'm in the i i don't see how anything's going on here um i love there's that line where she's like did we just walk into a trap yeah. um but <laughs> but getting back to the point um we spend so much time god I, I i i hate to be so derivative folks i know it's it's totally subjective but like it is such it is probably one of the best lovecrafting experiences i've ever partaken in um because we have a character that and to me who feels like they have, they are straddling this line of like character going into a normal scenario in their head hey i'm going to my mother's desecrated tombstone i have to take care of that but they can tell there is something wrong and they can tell there's something wrong from the get-go um, and I just, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a level of surrealness. That's the one word that comes to mind. It's not, it doesn't feel like I am watching a story or a movie where I want to articulate this correctly. It's just like, I don't, I, I, it doesn't play it straight. It, yeah, I'm having, like, it's so, it reminds me of first reading Lovecraft stories. It reminds me, of, you know what it is? I, I, I know what I can say. 
It reminds me of Junji Ito's stories. Okay. It reminds yeah, me of the, the surrealness of the mundanity and the surrealness of going about day-to-day activity. But then characters are starting to slowly realize that I know how mundanity and life goes about. And there is something very wrong about today. Like something about today is different compared to what I've ever experienced. And I hope I'm articulating that, but it's like, it's, it's that disconnect that Lovecraft does so well, being able to comprehend something beyond our understanding. Yeah, no, I totally picked up on that with the film. And I think that part of what complements that is that, you know, the film has these title cards periodically, which kind of look like silent film era title cards, but also in the second half of the film, it begins to jump back in time to show us more snippets of what's been going on, which, you know, I mean, not to say that flashbacks are like a revelation in storytelling, but I think that for this type of story to have these flashbacks, it feels like it happens in real time with the character's understanding of what is going on or furthering their understanding of sort of this predicament that they're in. And then they pick up on small little mundane interactions that now it, when they're in this, you know, very strange situation, the strangeness of the mundane really does come out in a way that I think complements, again, just the overall pacing on the mystery of what is going on. Who are all these weirdo people that are here on this island and whatnot? And I made a mistake in the intro. I guess it is her ex-husband, George, who's played by uh, Joe Swanberg of uh, Your Next and several other films. But um, one element that I wanted to touch upon is that you sold this movie to me on it having the vibes of Silent Hill while not being, you know, like trying to be an adaptation of Silent Hill, which I completely, A, not only shows that you know my taste in movies and horror, that not only sells me on it, but also this film does such a great job of capturing the aesthetic of Silent Hill without going the monster route, which I think is really important for the type of story that they're telling. Now, Sure, you could do a more monster-focused Lovecraftian movie. Plenty of people have. But for this type of story, I find that by taking the aesthetic and the atmosphere of Silent Hill, it's the perfect complement. I mean, they have so many of those long shots of Mary walking down Main Street and it's all foggy Mm. and it's completely bare and there's nobody there. It reminds me of, and you know, I know that you're uh, an ex-New Englander like, and I'm a New Englander now. Um, but like going to like the Cape or something in the off season, mm. walking around these towns and there's nobody in the streets and it's kind of like eerie, even if it's the middle of the day, cause you kind of feel like you're an outcast or you're like this person that shouldn't be here when nobody else is. Um, and I find that this film does a great job of pairing the emotional plight of its protagonist and then having the atmosphere of the setting really reflect that in a way that I find just complements it really nicely. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, um, God, there's so much I could say about this. It's like, well, to my previous rant, that was probably incoherent to mostly everyone. Um, it, it, it makes me, you know, it's funny. I didn't bring up Silent Hill right away, but it's like, when you think about James and Silent Hill too, assuming folks have played the game or at least are aware of the story, you know, Silent Hill, the place is a place disconnected from reality. And there's a jarring element of, realness to the supernatural they're both happening in the same space it's abstract and that's what i was trying to convey in that rant um a total thing i was projecting watching this movie um and and maybe some people share this with me but just like it screamed 
in in the way that the action was happening and the way that the story was moving and how characters would interact with one another and especially Mary, it just, I don't know, there was an aesthetic that screamed 90s survival horror to me. Like when I think about how Mary would just even run down the street, you know, when it's all foggy and whatnot, I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of seeing how like a 90s survival horror avatar sways back and forth. <laughs> And totally, I'm, I'm totally projecting it, but that's what it did in my brain. And the island, much like Silent Hill, is a, again, not to repeat myself, I'm sorry, but a physical place that is completely removed from reality and from our mortal understanding of reality. And I love that element of how that brings in a survival horror um, quality in my opinion i love how the isolated feeling to this movie um there's as i said at the beginning there's a level of keeping you in the dark and minimalism that i think is absolutely superb and so much of that is the place there's when we see mary going about to and from different places i just yeah you know, i just can't get the sense out of my head that the place itself wants to cause harm to her or the place it like it's the place that is it's like it weaponizes the things that it knows will really make her unravel i would think i think i i I, what I, I think what i was trying to say is that like it's the place that is weaponizing the people against her you know it's not like as we come to find out i mean well granted yes there are like quote unquote crazies on the island um but you come to find out that it's really the place that is the evil. And then you come to find out it's the Lovecraftian deity, um, which there's one particular person on the island that sells that concept the most, who is easily one of my favorite modern actors we will eventually get to, um, because he has a great part towards the end of this movie. Um, but yeah, going back, sorry, to the Silent Hill thing. Uh, there's like, I... I'm not the first person to say this, so I apologize, but like a lot of people fondly remember and continue to watch. Um, what is that fucking Tom Cruise movie? It's that movie where he dies and side. Oh, uh, Live, Die, Repeat. Thank you. So a lot of people watch that movie and it's like, oh, this is like the best video game movie I've seen because it's not based on a video game, but it has an incredible video game aesthetic and video game-esque quality to it and a lot of people might disagree with me but i feel like off season has that in terms of like 90s survival horror i think that's a great encapsulation of why i found it to be a standout of a lot of movies that have tried to do something similar but this movie really just allows these characters to just kind of take in the setting and i think that there's a lot of smart filmmaking techniques behind that that don't go the more obvious route i suppose um, and I think that that plays really well against, you know, keeping the audience in the dark for as long as they are, because the characters are in the dark for a majority of the film. And, you know, it really just allows the oppressiveness of the island, of the fact that it, for the most part, feels like this barren wasteland. Um, and just seeing how this character becomes trapped there and, uh, you know, tries to navigate this in addition to them navigating, you know, their own emotional turmoil. Um, and, you know, the one element of Lovecraftian stuff that I love more than, you know, any of the deity stuff that gets introduced or any of the monster stuff is just the fact of it feels like a conspiracy most of the time. Right. The fact that when characters show up there, 
you see people and they stop like in the very beginning of the movie when they can't find the groundskeeper to, you know, talk about the fact that, oh, my mother's grave has been vandalized. They go to the local bar. And as soon as they walk into the bar, everybody in the bar stops talking and just turns and stares at them. And then, of course, they're not helpful. One of these characters who's just like supposedly this drunk fisherman played by uh, Jeremy Gardner, he comes over and he starts talking like very cryptically to Mary in a way that, you know, it almost seems just like a drunk making a pass at her. But then, of course, you know, there's going to be a little more to that character later in the movie. But I just love that scene when they leave and then this old man that's standing by the piano just like starts cackling maniacally for no reason. It just feels like out of nowhere. And it feels like the audience is put in the same predicament as the protagonists in that we're not in on the joke. We're not in on what's going on. And the film does a really good job of making us feel at odds with the other characters or the other inhabitants of this small town um, in a way that's really disconcerting. And I really, really enjoy that quality because I always want to be like, well, what is going on behind the curtain? As soon as I find out what's behind the curtain, I'll understand things. And just kind of that leading the audience on in those little moments, I really enjoy, even if, you know, some films maybe rely too heavily on that. In this movie, I thought that Offseason did a great job of, you know, having that be for the first half of it. And then once it starts explaining things, it's like, oh, okay, I can piece together a little bit more about what's going on. You know, it's like, I, I wrote this as a as I wrote this as a little summed up phrase, but uh, I feel like this movie has something that I I've coined as like a great sense of directing madness. Um, and yeah, there's it's not, and obviously I don't I don't know. Maybe if someone were to make an action Lovecraft movie, it would be different. Obviously, but I think most of the time we don't necessarily expect like so much quote-unquote action to happen these kinds of movies but in the sense of off-season not a tremendous deal happens it it feels kind of crappy to say that it's just mary going to and from places it's a little bit more in depth of that but you don't find her really chased that much by like the townsfolk you don't really see her encountering lovecraftian monsters until later um, a lot of it is her going to and from places and we have a lot of still time and we have a lot of like weird signals being given to us, whether it's um, sonically speaking or it's visually speaking. Um, like one of the moments that really stands out to me, I want to say it's midway through the movie, is she has tried to leave the island. She does not have her ex-husband with her. She goes back into the island more so and she eventually makes her way i think to a florist and she comes across these old newspaper clippings to which granted it's a lot to sum up so i'll, I'll con condense it for here but we know that something psychologically has well she knows that something psychologically was up with her mother which we know is probably has a little bit more to do with like the lovecraftian being going on um but she's seeing things that make her second guess what she knew about her mom. And an inhabitant, uh, an island inhabitant appears. And it's, again, it's not one of those jump scares that's like, ah, in your face. We just get a very gentle pan of it, which that's my favorite shit. That stuff gets me goosebumps. I love that. Um, and when Mary sees this woman, she doesn't get scared. And in my opinion, she spends way too much time talking to this person who clearly 
I don't want to say is monstrous looking or like detached because both are surface level, but like there's something wrong with her. Like this woman's pale. She's got white eyes. Like, come on, bro. You can't miss that <laughs> shit. Um, I remember she was also I, acting weird as shit in the graveyard. Exactly. And it's like, it's so funny. I was watching this. I was watching the movie again with my spouse and they're just like, okay, maybe we don't stare at the creepy lady whose eyes are all white. Within the story of Mary, we're, that camera's just kept on that conversation, and she's just being directed to keep trying to talk to this person. And it's like, yeah, it's a little maddening. And I don't mean maddening in like a negative connotation. I just mean like, why are we focusing this much time on it? And it's just like, it makes me think about how much time we'll spend with like Mary drifting to and from places, how... I don't want to say how much psychological questioning is going on. The film definitely just, I think it does try to toy with you as in like, oh, what's going on? Though I don't think it does that too much in my opinion. Um, but I really, in my, there is this like direction of madness. And I think it's like the perfect atmosphere of Lovecrafting, like going mad. This person is trying, you got a person, long story, I'll end here. You got a person who's trying their very best to make sense and act like how they would in like typical human reality in a place that won't allow that. I think that that's a great way to describe, you know, some of the elements of Lovecraftian that can come off as awkward, but that's because it's a place that defies, you know, logic and reality, which awkward I think is, a good word. is, yeah, I think that it just, it makes it that much more terrifying in a way that doesn't work for everybody, but it certainly does for people. I think people like us that are maybe are so inundated with horror that we're like, well, I need something more than exactly what we get typically, right? Something more than just like reactionary horror um, or moments like that, which not to say there's anything wrong with those, but it's just like, I can appreciate this approach to another facet of horror that maybe doesn't click with everybody, but it still like has that primal fear of not understanding, making me the viewer uncomfortable because I don't understand why somebody's reacting a way that they are, whether or not in that moment they're, you know, overtly threatening another character or, you know, whether that be physical or, you know, within the the crux of the story and whatnot. But I just love being like, thrown off center with being faced with an interaction that defies a lot of logic. Um, I think that off season also does a good job of, you know, scaling its scares for the size of a film that it is. And it obviously is, you know, low budget. Um, but I think that it goes about it in a way that, you know, Lovecraftian films in general, I find are films that can really succeed, even if there is a really low budget. And this film I find largely abides by that with the, you know, the exception of the later half of the film, like early on, even just when Mary gets separated from her ex-husband, right. And they're walking along the beach trying to find each other. And she starts following who she thinks is her ex-husband off in the distance. And then he's like right behind her. And he's like, where are you, what are you doing? Why are you out here? And like little moments like that, I find to be genuinely terrifying, I guess, Part of it made me think of like, I mean, most people probably have done this when they were a little kid, like <laughs> they're in a public place and they start following somebody thinking yeah. it's a parent. And then it just person turns around. And you're like, oh, that's someone I've never seen before. Um, and like little moments like that, I think um, additionally, also like when they go back to the bar later and Mary sees all the locals in there, but they're just frozen. frozen. Nobody's moving. They kind of look like marionettes almost. And, you know, those are very chilling moments that don't require practical work. They don't require a lot of effects or anything like that. And it just, it fits within this sense of a place 
that operates with outside outside of our understanding of reality or the frameworks of reality. Um, and you know, you don't have to have a lot of you know big effect moments to pull that kind of scare off, which you know complements not only the story that's being told, but more importantly, the location. Um, it's so like, yeah, I, I, I mean, it is totally, there's so much subjective experience that gets involved in talking about Lovecraftian experiences or how any personal work of horror works for anyone. But I just feel like this movie pulls off the Lovecraft horror so well. Um, I, and I, and I don't know between you, what you and I have already said, it's just like, I just don't, like, I couldn't give you the equation to how it does that. Is it telling enough here and not enough here and that's why it works? Or is it just set, not saying enough here and barely giving you a little here? Um, is it, 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 I mean, there's so much nuance to it. Um, something I do want to talk about in terms of the Lovecraft, if it's cool to shift. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because like, while you and I have, and maybe we differ on this. So while you and I have been talking about so much of the movie within its first half, first half, um, I think it's worth talking about them. Uh, we have to obviously talk about the quote unquote monster stuff that appears in the second half. And in my opinion, it is all super great. If I remember correctly, two particular, there are two monster scenes. Um, one involves imagery. I will always be a fucking sucker. Always be a sucker for it. Um, but the first one I, I want to talk about is the again it's like it's not a jump scare but it's the it's a pseudo jump scare that we get in terms of mary after she's um met up with that bar person and she goes to his house and again we're in we're we spend so much time in this house and it's it's so perfect the setup is they're about to leave um they're about to go across they like, leave the island they both want to get away and the guy they both hear a noise upstairs and the guy goes upstairs. He's like, I'm going to be right back. And then he goes upstairs. And then you notice after like a minute, like maybe we've kind of like as the viewer and the camera's still on Mary, like maybe we've been downstairs for too long here. Why hasn't something happened? Like, why haven't we heard a thing yet? Or like, why hasn't she gone upstairs yet? Or like, why? Because it's like also the camera fakes with us a little bit. And if I'm remembering this in, in my head, I promise folks I'm getting somewhere. Um, the way I think the shot is made is that in the middle we have Mary and then a little bit to the right, we have the staircase and it's dark and we can't see much up the staircase, but we're also just to the left enough that we can see the front entrance to the house. And so your horror movie brain is just like, okay, we're gonna get fucked with. Like someone's gonna <laughs> come from the left and get her while she's looking upstairs. Nothing. We don't get anything like that. And we don't get anything from the shadows. So eventually she goes up her way and she's going about. And then that's when we start to hear small sounds. And then, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, she opens a door and we don't get a jump. I don't even think we get a hard cut. I don't think so. But we just see this guy's body and something is going in it. I can't, like, I could not, and it's probably to the testament of the Lovecraftian horror of this movie, I could not tell you over a pot, like, I could not describe it appropriately over a yeah. podcast. It's something you have to see for your own eyes, but it is this alien-like black thing, and it's just gruesomely invading this man. Um, And that chilled me. 
That's the best way to put it. And I think that that is a testament not only to the way that shot's composed, but the practical work that's in there is that it's somebody that uh, someone's body is being invaded. That's the best way to put it. Uh, and I think that that gets to the true core of Lovecraftian stories that deal with the type of deity, right? Because something has invaded this place. Something has taken over everything. And, you know, while a lot of it is supernatural, like having this very physical moment of someone's body being, you know, penetrated by something uh, is, you know, incredibly disturbing and, you know, not only fits thematically, but is also just creepy as hell. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I'm of the opinion, you know, that I think I would have appreciated a few more moments like that without it ever being the focus of the film or, like, you know, being overly burdened by those types of moments. Cause then of course, you know, if there's four or five moments like that, we wouldn't be talking about it in as much sure. detail as you just did. Um, but even, you know, like the very end of the movie, when you get to look at the deity, right. And that being the most, you know, FX moment of it, it doesn't matter, you know, the quality of the FX, it doesn't matter about how much of it is in the film because it is shot in a way that, or composed in a way that speaks to the true, you know, terrifying nature of a deity, right. Where it basically fills up the entire screen and not only is it filling the entire screen, but it's hammering home the fact that this is the puppet master, you're seeing what is pulling all of the strings of the people on the island. Because as we learn, all of these fishermen, they basically the inhabitants of the island made a deal with this demonic deity that it needs to be fed essentially with the souls of people and it controls all of these people. Um, but I just love that while there's only two moments that really are the more monster focused, I wish we had maybe one or two more. I think that they are very sort of, you know, just pitch perfect in terms of what they need to be complementing what has already been done in the film. Um, and, you know, they give us those moments in a way that, um, you know, I think everybody has been hoping for a moment like that throughout the course of the film and to give people those moments is great, but I think overall, you know, it complements rather than overshadows the legwork in getting there. I, I mostly, mostly, mostly agree with that. It's just a uh, thing I love about this movie, especially upon a second rewatch. I think it's just the perfect length. So, like, I try to imagine, it's like, yeah, I would love one more monster thing. I don't know where the hell it would go. So, like, that's where I'm in conflict with it. Um, and then to the point of the last, that that last, like, when we see the deity in the Emma fucking sucker for imagery like that. Um, I am someone, for anyone who's played it, who adores 2018's Call of Duty. I love that fucking game. And spoilers for that, I'm sorry. Um, but it has one of those moments in it towards the end and oh my god like um and again i think it's just to the degree of like there's been so it's just such a payoff. it's a payoff and it's like i in my brain i didn't even expect it or want it or think we were gonna get it it's just like i really don't i didn't know what this film was gonna throw even going back to the thing that i talked about i had no idea if what this movie could even throw at us in terms of a Lovecraftian-esque monster or creature. You know, I I know we're talking about a different movie here, um, but I watched another Lovecraftian-esque movie last night, and when that movie eventually shows you its monster, and it does a really good job of keeping you in the dark, but I don't know, and again, totally subjective. Uh, when I saw what this monster looked like, I'm like, eh, okay, that's, that's neat, sure. Um, but whenever I saw these two instances in off-season, I was very put off. And it takes a lot for me to get put off. Um, 
And I think that's to the credit that you said, Jay, this movie does so much legwork to not just mess with Mary psychologically, but also mess with you psychologically. Again, there is that surrealness of you, like you try, you as the viewer putting yourself, you're trying to put yourselves in the shoes of this protagonist. So it's like, you're trying to think about things rationally, but you know, you're also in a fictional like setting and you have this character that's trying to address things rationally and they only barely somewhat understand that they are in a place where reality does not matter. Um, and I think it's that, uh, I think it's that disbelief and that disconnect that allows for these moments to be so startling. Because for the most part, um, other than the weird moments where it's like we see everyone in the bar freeze up, a lot of off-season is um, pretty, contrary to what we've said here, pretty grounded. Like the horror itself is pretty grounded. You don't have anything overly fantastical. Like I said, the townsfolk aren't attacking Mary. There's like one scene where I think they gang up. There is one scene where they gang up on her. Um, but nothing even crazier wild happens there. And we just get such a good payoff with these monster reveals. I think they are truly chilling. Another one little, uh, I suppose, scare that's in the movie that is, you know, not overly burdened by effects or, you know, reliant on practical work or anything like that is when they're trying to flee the island in her ex-husband's car, right? And they start driving down the only road leading there. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're on this, you know, normal looking paved road. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's just, it just stops and it's just nothing but wilderness. And then they try to back up to go to the way they just came. And all of a sudden there's woods behind them where there used to be a road, like little psychological moments like that are why I love Lovecraftian horror um, because it plays with your perception of the reality of the characters and the perception of the reality of this place that they're in. Um, and I find that moments like that can be far more disturbing because A, you don't see them coming really, mm -hmm. but also it's just the idea that you can't trust your memory of a location that you've been in to be enough to get you through a place. I find that you know showing up somewhere that you've been before and then trying to navigate the way that you once did, but now unexplainably is not a possibility. Like that to me is like very oh, frightening. Just that oh. concept is very terrifying. And um, I find that, you know, again, talking about Lovecraftian films, maybe being a little more broad about them or generalizing, but like not a great deal of them I find have large budgets to go maybe a more monster focused route. You know, I'm sure there's examples out there, but for films like this that seem to be, you know, the general maybe budgetary tier or size of a production for a lot of Lovecraftian films. I love it when a director leans into some of the moments that we've discussed rather than again, inundating us with more practical work or even just FX uh, work that at the end of the day, if they tried to go more than two or three moments like that, they're going to tell on themselves of what the budget of the film was because it's not going to be able to support that quality sure. consistently for a handful of uh, moments like that. But um you know, I w one performance that I would really like to give a shout out uh, before we wrap up, because I know that we're short on time, but uh, Mary, who's played by um, Jocelyn Donahue, who's in, of course, Ty West's House of the Devil, who plays Sam, the protagonist in oh. that. Um, how did you find her performance? Because, you know, this really is Mary's show and going through, you know, her own, you know, the plight of being stuck in this place, but also, you know, her unpackaging a lot of, you know, emotional uh, baggage, or I would go so far as to say trauma, right? Of her relationship with her mother, and all of a sudden she's being called in as the last caretaker uh, of her mother. Uh, I mean, without a doubt, astounding. Um, again, I just, 
just her as a character it's so it's so much of what i love in these kinds of stories where she it just in her acting there's a great balance of like just being a super smart character in this like intense upsetting situation and yet there's still an element of like her humanness that cannot comprehend this greater existential threat that looms over her so in in terms of like a smart character um absolutely well written and also incredibly well acted um emotionally i that's what i'm most sold on i she did an amazing job and i know you said this earlier there's nothing about flashbacks is super new like new or like revolutionary but given the fact that the mother's not in the movie and we get those small flashbacks they're relatively brief um she just did such an amazing job. Uh, Mary uh, did such an amazing job at portraying and exuding a heartbreak and heart and uh, and uh, presenting struggle. And I think it's one of the moments that really stands out to me is not the end end, but the ending when she is running to the water and we end up seeing the Lovecraftian deity. But it's she's following the the, the ghost, if you will, for lack of a better term of her mother and there's there's a particular scene i think about a flashback where it's her confronting her mother about something and they're having a fight and i think about that scene a lot and it's just like i i have the sense of this tortured soul this is a tortured soul who hasn't made um what's the word has has it made their peace with uh you know their troubled past? Yeah, it hasn't made their peace. Um, but anyway, it hasn't made their peace. And we even get the one scene, but like she's still living with this conflict of even though she's had this struggle, like this stressful, as you come to learn in the movie, she's had this very stressful life with her mother. Ever since her mother was able to leave the island, she's had a very difficult relationship with her. And even in her mother's passing, that past still haunts her. And you get a great sense of that. And I think you get a great sense of that throughout the entire movie. Um, not so much when the ex-husband is around. Um, but when you get those great moments going back to like when we're talking about those Silent Hill vibes, when she's alone, I think that's where it's the strongest. Um, so emotionally, she absolutely sold it for me. I really fell for her. I was very much rooting for her to have a happy ending. Um, it's funny sometimes with like a lot of movies, I'll be like, yeah, let the story happen. Let the characters happen. I don't really try to insert myself too much. In this case though, I'm like, God, I hope she gets a good ending, <laughs> uh, which I won't, I won't spoil the very, very end, but yeah. Testament to the performance, right? I think that, you know, what you said about her interactions with her mother, right. And how uh, the lack of closure between them, but at the same time, you know, they only have that one scene together. And it's not a terribly long scene, but that scene tells you all you need to know about their relationship. And already, you know, you get to see the one-sided nature of it for a majority of the film, right? Which is Mary's interaction with her ex-husband and talking about it. You also get to see her talking with the lawyers and talking about the fact that, you know, these last wishes of being married on the island are completely against what her mother would have wanted. Um, but then when you actually get to see them interact, you're like, oh, okay, I can see why this is a relationship that, you know, has uprooted or maybe didn't allow her to be as emotionally vulnerable in her private life. You know, clearly you mm. know, had a marriage that didn't work out. It's just the type of thing that, you know, you can get a lot of from these brief character interactions when they're sold as well as they are. 
and you don't have to have a great deal of exposition focusing on that. Um, so I think, again, like you mentioned earlier, this film doesn't have a very long runtime. I think it's barely 90 minutes. And yet you have a protagonist that doesn't do much monologuing themselves. There's also not a, like many exposition dump type of scenes. Not a lot of talking, yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of talking. Almost you let the environment itself do a lot of the talking. Um, but one other performance that we have to give a shout out, and you hinted at it earlier, uh, our boy Richard Brake oh. showing up as the Bridgman who, you know, he's obviously in the opening of the film. Yes. And then I got to the point where she lowers the bridge and runs across. And I was like, in, in my notes, I was like, why the hell is there not more Richard Brake in this? And then immediately he comes there out he with is. a double barreled uh, shotgun or the sawed off. And I was just like, finally, they let this man chew scenery as only he can. He does. Like, if you, I don't know, there's something in the fucking Richard Brake water. If you give that man just the chance to do a fucking monologue, he will be so great. He will be so in there. I, I, it's funny. I can't, I'm sorry, I'm going to break up another movie. Um, like, as much as I'm not crazy fond of it, I will re-watch Rob Zombie's 31 just for that intro. A hundred percent. So creepy. I, it, it's so good. It, he's a great actor. Um, he, he just really is. And too much of what we've been saying about the evilness of this land and how the land, and I mean, come to find out the Lovecrafting being, is corrupting the people. It's so wild that, and I hope I articulate this well, but like <clears throat> Richard Brake's character is clearly not sane, but he's also not under the influence of the island. And that's not talked about. There's never, unless I'm misremembering, but there's not any clear exposition as to how he is aware of the deity or he's aware, he's aware to some degree um, that there is a supernatural presence. And like, he thinks the people on the island are blessed with like, um, the chance of this afterlife and what have you. So it's like he does get it to a degree, but he also doesn't have the full comprehension. And it kind of, in a way, I guess, as I'm saying it out loud, I didn't write this down, almost parallels Mary's understanding as another human being who doesn't fully grip, who doesn't fully grip the Lovecraftian existentialness, existentialism around them. Like, she knows clearly something's wrong. And at this point, she's seen the black invading thing, like uh, penetrating that other islander. But she doesn't have a full comprehension. She just knows something's up. Whereas Richard Brake knows a tiny little bit more, but he's off the fucking deep end um, in thinking that it's a beautiful thing and thinking it's a good thing. And I just love it. He, he, he sold mad. That's what it is. He sold mad as well. Yeah, he does a really great job of showing, you know, somebody that is clearly, a, you know, in any Lovecraftian story or any horror story, really, right, where there's a deity, there's always that one person that is not under the influence of the deity or the creature or the monster or whatnot, but they actually really are, right? Because they're doing their bidding without being under the influence because they're being promised of some reward. Uh, you see that a lot in like vampire stories, mm. right? There's always that one person that's like, oh, well, if I do whatever they say, they'll turn me. Um, and yeah. that very much is kind of like his character in a way. And like I said, you know, you give that man any scenery to be in and he just chews it up. And he does such a great job of just being this person that just like embodies insanity in a way. And yet he still is, has the clarity with which to, you know, deliver these almost, uh, you know, you kind of feel like they're stage monologues yeah. half the time, but he has this intensity and this anger where he almost ends up like spitting half of the time because he's just like 
so over the top. And that shout to 31, I mean, I don't care for that movie, but I will go back and rewatch that opening clip on YouTube once in a while, because I'm like, this is such a phenomenal performance from him that I'm like, oh man, why is he not in more? You know, it's the type of guy where it's like clearly a great character actor, but it's almost like I could just use a little bit more of Richard Brake. Yeah. No, uh, just stunning. I, I would just repeat what you said. Absolutely incredible actor. I'd be interested to see him in uh, in uh, the Munsters reboot, which is more of a, it's like a comedy. I guess he plays oh, two yeah, roles. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet, but I want to see him do something a little more lighthearted for a change. But uh, As far as he's concerned, he is great. Again, he's great. Um, it's nice to see a little bit more range because he's not playing a deranged killer or like a deranged <laughs> person, um, but he just does comedy well. He also does comedy well, you know? God. He's a talent. He's a multi multifaceted talent. Uh, and I think that this movie definitely succeeds in more ways than one. And it's one that uh, I think really capitalizes on Lovecraftian horror mm -hmm. in a way that I almost wish more films that tackled Lovecraftian horror do. You know, a lot of them tend to lean, in my experience, into more of the uh, the imagery that you would associate with like a Call of Cthulhu, right? Where mm -hmm. if you play the game, it's all about merman creatures for the most part. And it's like, that has its moments, but I also love these really lo-fi, primarily vibes, loafcrafting the uh, experiences such as off-season, but also, you know, having stellar performances in it, um, I think makes this really a, a perfect standout for you to uh, to bring to me for, you know, one of these, it came from Shudder films that I had missed. But yeah, man, this was a terrific chat and it was really appreciative you brought this film to my attention. Thank you so much. No, I, it deserves a lot of love. I, I hope hopefully this isn't too pompous, but like if folks haven't checked it out yet, please check it out. It's super good. You know, everyone who worked on the movie deserves love for this, what they did here. It's, it's honestly, I mean, take my opinion, however you will, but like, I love Lovecrafting stuff and I have to sincerely say this is one of my all time favorite things, like probably top five. I can, I know I can always count on you to bring me something I either haven't seen or it's something that, uh, you know, I needed to be put on my radar. So as always, Michael, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you. Thank you so much, Jay. It was a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at Not Funny Jay. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.